Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. (sighs) Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome <laughs> to Evolution. Yeah. And welcome our guest, Ryan Kazmiski. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Very dear friend of Jeff's here, and mine now. Uh-huh. One of my friends, too. He's going right. to join us on this crazy romp. Yeah, because oh. we watched the movie Evolution, starring David Duchovny and Orlando Jones and... Or, Sean yeah. William Scott? Sean William Sean Scott. William big, Scott. big time for him. Oh, he was the del- actual delight in this movie. Oh, boy. He was definitely the best part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was from the writer of Arachnophobia and the director of Ghostbusters. <sighs> but not as delightful as either, either of those. Either one of them. <laughs> Let's no. listen to the trailer, shall we? Yeah. This season, they're coming. Awesome! Wipe that silly smile off your planet. Big ones. Any ideas? Little ones. Snag one. Snag one? Yeah, snag one and put them in the bucket. I seen this movie. The black dude dies first. You snag it. Get this thing out of here! gonna be okay, Harry. We might have to amputate. Whoa, duck! Don't take the leg! Setting for his crotch. Take it! Take the leg! Is there some sort of alien attack happening here? And this kind of thing the government usually gets involved no, in, so no, shouldn't we no. tell them? Absolutely not. I know those people. From Ivan Reitman. The director of Ghostbusters, Evolution. That's like a big loogie. Oh my Slow god! Slow clapping yeah. it. Oh man, that my blood started curdling again watching that trailer. <laughs> I didn't have a very good time during this, guys. This was a weird awakening for y'all, though, because you were you were big fans of this growing up, no? Yeah, well, yeah. I I remember, you know, I watched this movie a lot. We owned it on VHS, oh, cool. oh, yeah. and I always cool. thought it was pretty good, but yeah. I couldn't really remember it. And then we watched it again. And I was like, it's really not very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I rented it multiple times, like at, when I was in middle school and stuff. And I I loved it. Like there were a couple of things that I did still enjoy in it, but for right. the most part, what a mess. I know it's so amazing that something that's not that long ago. What year was it? Two thousand, right? Two thousand one or two thousand one? It seems like it. just exists at a time Orlando Jones like fucking predatory college professor guy is so crazy I was like he made seven up yours and I really liked him then then (laughs) seven up yours right yeah they really took the character of like a a sort of like raunchy person and like walked right over the line into like dangerous predator yeah (laughs) and like didn't even flinch they just sort of did it and then winked at you like like, I swear officer any of the girls in those pictures are over 18 you're like yeah. so openly acknowledging yeah. they are your students it's that like, you are fucking. Yeah, what's like, really funny here is that he's a predator. And I think all of us were equally kind of like, ooh, just like because it just yeah. wasn't funny. That's all. It was kind of like it was a 2001 take my wife please. You right. Know? Like I'm gonna look at her butt and then jokingly look at the camera. Anyway. The other thing was there were a million butt jokes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like jokes. if there had been like three fewer butt jokes, I would have been like, there were a lot of butt jokes in this jokes. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. It was they were just obsessed with like butts cuz men don't want things up their butts. That's right, right. I, I mean know the, the climax like... of the movie was, was an up the butt was joke. An up the butt joke. The whole solution to the entire that, Which I got to give them credit effects, for huh? yeah, the practical effects of a butt. A sphincter. 
because this was another example of something that was originally written as like a serious science fiction thriller, mm. right? Oh, but then yeah. the director, Ivan Reitman, he then hired these two goons to like rewrite it as a comedy. And then the original writer liked the changes so much that he was like, sure, perfect, sure, I'm on board. But David Duchovny, he's looking for aliens. And <laughs> we all know that in the X-Files, he did that well. Yeah. Right, they were doing some <laughs> winkies to those. Very moldery. They reference Head and Shoulders in this movie, right? That's right. the they don't reference it. It's like what solves the problem. It's revealed <laughs> that the movie is a commercial for right. Head and Shoulders, right? But the reason Head and Shoulders is the cure or whatnot is because it has the element selenium in it, mm-hmm. and selenium, which is atomic number thirty-four, it's this gray crystalline, crystalline or crystalline. Crystalline, right? I, it's, think so. I thought it was a line. Anyway, so it's this non-metal with semiconducting properties. And it is technically in Head and Shoulders, not the regular one that we might be familiar with, but the intensive treatment one. <laughs> it's only an intensive treatment. Yeah, if you have like an extra case of dry, flaky scalp. Do you need scalp, a prescription for that? I don't think so. Do you? Like, how do you? I Probably don't, not. I've never heard of somebody being prescribed Head and Shoulders. Right. I've mostly <laughs> just seen hacky. Head and Shoulders, and then like different flavors of Head and Shoulders. Right. I've right. never seen one that's like. I didn't know there was Danger only for right, right. like serious cases. <laughs> only for <laughs> alien buttholes. Well, my favorite thing about the selenium was how they, the way they figured out that it was the poison for the aliens, where he was like, look, if you look at carbon, what our life is based on, and then you go down to arsenic, oh, it's yeah. like a it's like a two down, one over kind of move. And he's like, if you go to their main element and then you do the same move, selenium. Right. That's yeah. the ticket. I know, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> In this movie, they're showing a rapid pace of evolution, and one of the things that they show are worms, like flatworms, splitting. And there are many species of planarian flatworms, and they all have insane qualities. So first of all, it can reform its entire body from slivers of just one three-hundredth of its original body size. Whoa. So if you cut it into 300 different little slits, you will wind up with 300 full planarian flatworms. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's because they have a lot of stem cells distributed throughout the body that can be regrown into any cell it might need. Okay, okay. So stem cell research, mm-hmm. like it can do a lot for us. Can I interject real quick? Please. What is, so what is planarian? That, planarian, that I reference? believe, is the genus. Okay, okay. Rather okay. than the species. Gotcha. So planarians both reproduce asexually and sexually, and the sexual ones are hermaphrodites. Nice. If you cut their head in two lengthwise... It will grow into two heads on one worm, but then they can do this repeatedly. So you can end up with a flatworm that has 10 heads if you keep cutting them and having it regrow a whole new head. Wow. Hmm. So a 10 headed worm seems pretty scary to me. What is it? It's not necessarily trying to harness it for us to eventually like regrow limbs or anything, right? Well, when it comes to stem cell research today, it's kind of like, let's take Parkinson's, for example. Mm. That is a lack of dopamine producing cells in the brain. And how do you replenish dopamine producing cells in the brain? Well, you can take stem cells and implant them in that spot and have them coax them to grow into that type of cell. And you would therefore cure Parkinson's. So the kinds of things that we could do with this kind of technology is insane one way to look at healing is a very simple form of regeneration totally and so we all kind of have regenerative abilities but they're incredibly good at it and it's because faster scale yeah they and like we're trying to get better at it through medicine and stuff like that and yeah researching planarian flatworms that's awesome when they hunt like they'll hunt water fleas and they'll wrap themselves around their prey like a boa constrictor 
and then it'll extend a tube-like organ from its mouth to eat it. That mouth tube is also its anus. Ah, okay. Ooh. So it's Gross. it's a one stop shop. Right? One stop shop, just like so, snakes cloaca. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. You eat, you poop. It all <laughs> happens there. Efficiency. Exactly. That's the name of the game. Where are these organisms found, though? All over the world. They're in most places where you're going to find water. So most planarian species have two eyes, which always look crossed. Oh, I remember this diagram from my biology textbook when I was a kid. Yeah. Of, they look goofy. Yeah. Like really? in, the, in the drawing, they, I didn't know that that was like yeah. really why. That's oh. why. They're always <laughs> just, like, just, just like, <laughs> trying to appeal to me It would be like two kid. eyes, and then in the middle, they would, yeah. Yeah. I remember, oh, yeah. It, gotcha. That just brought up a very vivid image in my mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, some of the species have like many eyes distributed throughout their bodies mm-hmm. and some have one eye useful. some have no eyes yeah it would be really useful to have a million eyes like all over eye your body on your butt mm-hmm. just keep make sure everything's <laughs> everything's kosher down there i guess well, i don't know we're getting butt jokes finger finger eyes finger eyes yeah that's <laughs> that what you want the dream cool. <laughs> like through a little yeah, just be like what's in there yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah so they can learn things and when you cut off their head, the newly regenerated head will still remember what it learned. Right, you told me about this before, right? Yeah, this was discovered by teaching it to respond to certain stimuli, and then they found that it would remember this stuff after being decapitated. Oh, man. And you can do a brain transplant on them, and the new body will actually hold onto the brain, take it in, and eventually the brain will control the new body. And you can even do that with the brain being from one species and the body to another species of planarian. It's amazing that they're so advanced in that way, but they only got one little poop shoot. Got- <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what it comes <laughs> right? down to. Is like, who's really on the top of the food chain yeah, right here? Exactly. Priorities. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, if the movie is to be believed, we would grow out of the flatworms eventually. So yeah. we could just send mm-hmm. those somewhere. Yeah. People. Right. <laughs> right exactly. pe- and then there'll be people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's how, <laughs> based on the movie, we know That's that. how it works in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That just reminded me of one one of my favorite worms, which is the bobbit worm. The Lorena bobbit worm? Uh-oh. <laughs> no, this is <laughs> this is a, a type of ocean worm. It it lives like in the silt. It digs a hole and sticks like its little antenna out. Mm-hmm. It has like five little feelers that it sticks out so you can't see it. Okay. And then when a fish swims by and tickles it, it like shoots out and grabs it with like these big jaws with Whoa. so much force Whoa. that it's known to cut fish in half. What? Yikes. And they they grow to be like 10 feet long. It's very they annoying. Like, did, did they name it after Lorena Bobbitt? Insane. <laughs> and cut the, that fish's dick off. It's... The, the, <laughs> The reason I know about these is they're apparently like a bane for saltwater aquarium owners. Because oh. if you're going to have like a coral reef aquarium, you have to have coral that's like harvested from the ocean. I mean, that's right. that's the thing about being a, a, a coral reef aquarium owner is you have to steal things <laughs> out of a dying Totally. <laughs> that's part of the hobby. But in stealing those, they often will find that like a little bobbit worm was like in the coral reef. Oh. And they'll grow in there, and you don't ever see them because they come out at night, and they stay in, like, the <laughs> tubes in the reef, and they, like, will eat all of your fish. 
Whoa, and they'll and grow to be 10 feet long and like you cannot kill them they can't be killed there's an amazing thread on this this reef tank website that if you just google the bobbit worm chronicles that's this long <laughs> long like it's like this one man's battle like he goes to war with a bobbit worm in his fish <laughs> tank and he like tries to poison it he's like starts feeding it by hand every night to get it used to like puts tweezers in with like oh shrimp God. and feeds it and then he injects a shrimp with copper and like feeds Whoa. it and it gets kind of sick but it survives it no. and, then, and like oh, and the, th- the other thing about this worm is like the flatworms if a chunk of it survives it will just become too bob it, you, like, <laughs> so if you like manage to grab its head and start pulling it out it's just like covered in legs so it'll just grab on inside oh, no. and you'll what? rip it Fox and the part it. that stays in there will grow a new head oh, and become man. and just like keep going so, so the, it, i highly recommend ch- like searching this on google for this thread because it's long <laughs> and it's epic and like he finally gets gets it but it takes forever and he's like citing Sun Tzu's Art of War captain's log yeah. today yeah and it's like I it, split it's, it in two. it's really it is really like one of those animals that's like a real life alien totally. on our planet that yeah. you, when you see a video of it you'll just be horrified and the, and right. and it's not one of those either where you're like oh but i bet it's actually small and that's like a microscopic camera looking at it. like right. no they're huge they're huge <laughs> <laughs> and long, eating cutting Jesus. fish in half cutting fish in half Stop being it. impossible to kill <laughs> yeah So yeah, as we mentioned in the movie, the aliens are nitrogen-based, and instead of like us carbon-based life forms, Duchovny claims that if arsenic is toxic to us, then the alien life would be find selenium toxic. Uh-huh. It's the stupidest thing. <laughs> but I remember reading about this insane discovery in 2010 of arsenic-based life. A NASA scientists found an organism that they called GFAJ1. That actually stood yep. for Get Felisa a Job. So it was living in arsenic-rich sediments of this place called Mono Lake, which is very toxic to most life on Earth. Mm -hmm. They figured that the organism must be incorporating arsenic into its DNA instead of phosphorus, which is what all other life uses. And so this set the astrobiology world on fire because if life can be based in arsenic here on Earth... What kind of life might exist on other planets or moons like Titan that have like different Mm -hmm. atmospheric makeups? So that's what I remembered reading, and I hadn't checked on it since. It turns out that right after the announcement, researchers started saying that they couldn't replicate the results. Mm. And after a ton of further research, it became clear that the new organism was not using arsenic in its DNA, but it just needed insanely small amounts of phosphorus to grow, Mm. like way less than we ever thought possible before. Mm And the researcher who did the original study, Felisa, she stands by her work and says that the fact that the organism has extreme resistance to arsenic and takes it up from the environment means something unusual is happening. She no longer claims that it incorporates into the DNA. By Felisa. That was by Felisa. Okay. So that was like the big thing was like, because it also, when they announced this, NASA said like, this week we're having a big announcement on the, what the search of, for extraterrestrial life. And okay. everybody was like, NASA's oh, about I... to announce the aliens. And then they announced this, which turned out to not even really be true. Right. <laughs> so, but ultimately this is just another case of like, life is living in a place where we previously thought impossible. Mm-hmm. And so far, wherever mm-hmm. we find water, we find life. Mm-hmm. And the question still remains of whether or not we, wherever we find liquid, we'll find life. Like, if that liquid is made out of something other than water, it may just be a solvent that you need in order to have molecules arrange into life. 
interestingly, the element that we think would most likely to support life other than carbon is silicon. Mm. And that's what we build computers on. Yes, it is. And that leads to this whole other question of like, what does life mean if it's an AI living on silicon? Yikerones. And that's a whole other can of planarian flatworms. Fuck, I, what would these, what is, what does it mean? What, what, is, it, what does life mean yeah, if no, it's based I, on I've anything? got some stuff on that later, so okay. we'll get <laughs> Perfect, perfect. You need to answer my questions. But some this real also, woe, dude. <laughs> some real woe, dude shit. So even though the study kind of botched its conclusions, it raised a lot of interesting questions, like could life have originated more than once here on Earth? Right, and then like gone mm. somewhere else and then come back? Or maybe? just or? stayed here and evolved separately. Oh, like the idea of a second genesis where there's an entirely separate founding ancestor of life that's also existing here on Earth. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that question is still up in the air, but this was not found to be proof of that, certainly, sure. because this turned out not to be using arsenic in its DNA. But, right. you know... The idea yeah. is still there, you know. The idea could be. It could be. Okay, so at some point in this movie, they scream something, ah, metabolic rate. And so I was like, ah, I'm going to look into that. <laughs> so come with me, guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the whole thing is about how this species is evolving at crazy rates. And so there's rates happening. I don't know why they well, I feel like we life. also talk about metabolism all the time. Like, oh, the, you know, it's got a fast metabolism. Yeah, it's totally. like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> mm. <laughs> turns out it means a lot. Well, anyway, let's start with the law of thermodynamics, shall we? Now, this law, of course, states that energy is neither created or destroyed. It's merely transferred, right? Well, so that's the same case with food. Every time we eat food, our body's just working to process the nutrients we've eaten into energy, right? This is through a vital process called metabolism. So if metabolism stops, all living things die. So it's, bit, it's an important thing. It's Might like well a, it it's the mechanism of turning food into energy. That's, that's right. Gotcha. So metabolism in human beings begins with plants. So green plant does their, you know, fucking photosynthesis thing where they take in the power of the sun and they use an, a molecule called chlorophyll, which is what gives plants their green color. And then they end up building sugars from water and carbon dioxide. These plants are fucking magic, right? <laughs> Just the whole process <laughs> yeah. of being like, I did that with the harnessing the power of the sun. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. And so then, then we come in and harness yeah, that power by eating exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> well, although our process of metabolizing shit is nuts with the enzymes and the who's its and what's its, it's pretty magical. So there's ATPs. Yeah, a I'm not getting that intense because oh man, that reminds me of my fucking personal training days of having to all the exercise science stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, wow. too much. I just want to, I just want to dance, okay? <laughs> so like when people and animals eat these plants, or if you eat the animal that eats the plants, we take in that energy in the form of sugar along with other cell building chemicals. So then that's absorbed into the blood and carried to the cells. So all of these crazy metabolic reactions are happening all, the, all at the same time, each coordinated with other bodily functions. So what's crazy to me is just how metabolism is really just like a balancing act between anabolism, anabolism? That's probably how you say that, anabolism. And that's about like building up the, the cells and the body tissues and stuff. So it like supports the growth of new cells, like the maintenance of body tissues and that kind of thing. And then there's catabolism, which is about breaking down those larger mo molecules to like make the energy. So catabolism provides the fuel for anabolism. It heats the body and enables the, mu the muscles to contract and the body to move. 
the metabolic rate then is just like the rate at which your body is heating up, creating this energy. It's burning calories. We know what it. Do we know what a calorie is, guys? Do you actually know what it is? It's, I did at one point. Right. What, it's what <laughs> makes us fat. I know. It's, that's the thing, it's, right? Where it's like you we're so obsessed and concerned about what a calorie is and how many are in things. And then I'm let, like, what? Let me what? see if I can guess. Let me see if I can remember. <laughs> Please yeah. do. Okay. So isn't it, doesn't it measure a unit of energy? Yeah. It, yes. Okay. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're off to a good start. It's. And then it all falls right, apart from exactly, there. Tell me what a calorie. Tell me what a calorie is. So a calorie is just it's a unit that measures how much energy a particular food provides to the body. But what's crazy is, and especially in like the past few years, it's been clearer and clearer that like not all calories are the same because they used to just be like calorie in, calorie out. That's how it goes. But for example, like a chocolate bar has more calories than an apple, specifically fat calories. So like fat gives you nine calories per gram compared to four calories per gram from carbs and protein. So like that's okay. why it's like it's harder for your body to lose it because there's more energy. It's like too much of a good thing, right? That's why like drinking a can of soda is worse than just like eating 140 calories of right. grapes. And that's because like that. it has a high content of fat, calories from fat, as I've seen it written on the nutritional right. facts. Right, or, or, and also like carbohydrates, like sugars eventually turn to fat in excess anyway. Much like a how a car stores gas in its tank, your body stores the calories in the form of body fat. So again, just equating our bodies to machines left, so right, So you're and saying I got a big gas tank. He's got a big gas tank. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, we're all just trying to get through it, right? I just, to understand yeah, why yeah. certain things happen. Because it's also like so much is hereditary and like not all bodies are the same. So you can basically break down the burning of calories into two separate categories. There's like resting calories and then activity calories. So like just like sitting here doing this podcast, mm -hmm. our body's just burning a certain amount of baseline calories. So like 60 to 75% of the total amount of energy that we use is just for basic biological functions. Like our or organs use the most of that. Like you got to get your heart to beat. Totally. Yeah. But you know what's nuts is the liver actually uses more than the fucking heart. It's the liver really? uses twenty seven percent. So the liver is you know responsible for processing and storing energy, fighting infections, and like clearing blood of toxins and all that kind of stuff. Followed by that is the brain, which is only nineteen percent. You would think that that would be more, right? And yeah. this is of course controlling all the activity in the body. Skeletal muscle is eighteen percent of those calories kidneys 10%, the heart is only 7%. Hmm. Like pumping all the blood and all of that stuff, it's only yeah, I 7%. I guess all it's doing is one simple one function. Thing. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Contract. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. I mean, it's like it doesn't necessarily mean that whatever's the most important because they're all, they're all so important. Right? They're, they're all, all very important. Together. But our Brita filter is doing the most work. <laughs> right, totally. Maybe you exercise, right? That could take up 15 to 30% of the calories you burn in a day. But then there's also just like the thermic effect of, of food, like chewing, swallowing, actively digesting, absorbing and stuff. Like you're actively burning calories while you're eating the food. Is that a legend or have I, is it true that celery has like a thing where like you, it takes more calories to eat it and right. chew it than it does give you calories? Totally. So and it's I, like you lose weight by eating 
they say celery. that. I mean, and that's kind of just like I guess if you're only eating celery or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, right. I think if you only ate celery, yeah. it, would work. <laughs> you would, it would work. Because it's mostly water. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. not that much going on in celery, but it takes so long for you to process, and because of the like fibrousness of right. the, I don't know if that's the word. You but gotta like, work through it with your teeth. Right. It's a f- especially if you do it in like small strips. You like break it off the top and you go like peel it. That was me. You can take like four hours eating one stock of celery. Turn it's it great. into a whole workout routine. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I wonder how much just me blabbing my, you know, flapping my gums daily, I'm burning so many calories. Always talking. But then, like, there's non-exercise activity that burns calories, like shivering or fidgeting and stuff. It's also like, I know that there are some people who will, like, take a cold bath or an ice bath for a period of time just as, like, an exercise thing. Or not not exercise exactly, but to burn calories. Or, like... If you there's some temperature where if you keep your home below that you're constantly burning calories, but really fucking uncomfortable. Right. The price of beauty. Yeah. The price of beauty. I know. Living in a cold, <laughs> cold house. It's like well, or eating also, celery. <laughs> <laughs> Just shivering and fidgeting because you're like hungry and cold, yeah. all neurotic as fuck. It <laughs> still <laughs> beats jogging. Yeah. <laughs> What I took away from this movie that I liked is that they the asteroid lands and these single-celled organisms evolve, and it's like a monster movie, but there's many, many different monsters. It's like their entire form of life that comes from this asteroid is like an invading force right. on our planet. Like that whole life, the, the, the apes, the lizards, all of it <laughs> is like one thing yeah. that's coming and taking over our planet. Yep. And that just sort of struck me as like an interesting way to look at life in general as one thing because I I sometimes get in my head this thought experiment where I'm like let's say I were God and I'm gonna like (laughs) shake some genes onto a planet and like grow my own life at home like all of life humans all of it would probably just look like some kind of like coral reef or fungus that just sort of goes like flunk around the thing and then like dies off and you're like well that was fun before the sea monkeys all right Um, (laughs) but so i i looked this up and there was this scientist named james lovelock who co-developed this theory in the 70s with lynn margulis called the gaia hypothesis okay but before we get into that what's interesting about james lovelock is in the 60s he was working for nasa to develop instruments they could use to detect life on Mars. Like, that was specifically what they wanted, was, like, we need something that could tell us if there's life here because we're going to, like, send a probe to Mars. Right. And so while he was doing this, he was realizing, like, well, the way you would do this is by testing the atmosphere because life affects the entire planet. And Mm -hmm. so he started thinking about this, and I guess it sent him down this head trip where he was like, wait a minute. (laughs) And he posited this hypothesis that life on planets functions with the planet itself as sort of one organism. That's like the basic way of putting it. A part of this theory also is that this is the part where other scientists were like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're down, big shifter. Was he was like that the, the planet and life work in conjunction Mm -hmm. to make life like continue on the planet okay that there's some kind of like goal Mm -hmm. that there's like a goal behind there's like a consciousness almost and so it starts to step into these areas of like neo-pagan religions and like sort of new age consciousness his idea was he was like well let me run a hypothetical like there are planets that have no life and when they get closer and further away from the sun their temperature like fluctuates just by that 
And then a planet like ours with life is completely different and regulated entirely based on the gases in the air, which are created by it's just like on and on about the, the mm-hmm. process of this. Yeah. Um, well, in the movie, even like the animals are creating their own atmosphere that they can live within. Yeah. And they're they're basically terraforming the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- this was what he he posited back in the 70s. And at the time, it was funny on the Wikipedia article, it said, when he first wrote about this, everyone just ignored him completely. Sure. Like, nobody even <laughs> was interested in this. And then as time has gone on, people started looking at it, and there's still, like, huge detractors because there's sort of, like, the camp. Like, Richard Dawkins is a big detractor because he's, right. like, he's like, no, evolution is about chaos. There is no point. And sure. so it sort of becomes this, like, interesting philosophical debate mm. within science because there's environmentalists who are like, no, totally, man. The Earth is one organism. we right. got to take care of it. And then there's like evolutionists who are like, there's no point to any of it anyways. Like it all happens randomly. Like evolution isn't serving a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of like hits on all these different factors. Yeah. Before him, there were, of course, other scientists who had sort of like things leading up to this. And there was one quote that I just really liked from this guy, Aldo Leopold, who was like one of the founders of like environmental ethics. Mm-hmm. And he had this quote where he said, it's, it is at least not impossible to regard the earth's parts, soil, mountains, rivers, atmosphere, etc., as organs or parts of organs of a coordinated whole, each part with its definite function. And if we could see this whole as a whole through a great period of time, we might perceive not only organs with coordinated functions, but possibly also that process of consumption as replacement, which in biology we call metabolism or growth. Whoa. In such case, we would have all the visible attributes of a living thing, which we do not realize to be such because it is too big and its life process too slow. Wow. Okay. There's. I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) I I guess I'm on the side of the environmentalist because as you're talking, I was like, this seems to make, at least much more logical sense in terms of how we are capable of affecting the environment and in turn the environment is capable of affecting us and like actually affecting our lives and and you know, and really the fact that we're in on this evolutionary scale, we're all just cousins, right? Mm. With so many species. It's just this huge tree of life. It's, you know, it's weird to think about because it's like, how how am I in a mountain the same? But mm-hmm. like on this, on the minuscule yeah, level, molecular, molecular level, level yeah. yeah. Well, that's where like, if you think of the universe as starting with just hydrogen atoms, mm-hmm. and then those combine to make more complex molecules, and then those molecules combine eventually to make DNA and a, a, a single cell mm-hmm. and then those cells get together and form multi-cell organisms and those multi-cell organisms get together and form even more complex organisms mm-hmm. like us the idea that we're the end and that there isn't like us all connecting to each other and then it's like that's where I was like oh my god the internet yes is like the world waking up uh-huh. and it's like not only is there the obvious elements of like rainforests changing the atmosphere and the ways that we even plan on using that on other planets to make it livable for us, but also on the level of like, we are acting more and more as one gigantic organism. And I mean, yeah, one thing speaking to that is I think where this theory like steps off the rails of modern science a bit is his idea that like the goal is to perpetuate life. But then as you're talking about, and I think the quote I read earlier suggests like if, as our definition of life shifts, mm-hmm. like this theory might make more sense because right. like yeah. there 
there the, the idea that Earth is trying to maintain a homeostasis where like we can survive sure. and right. life like us can survive might right might like be true and there would be no way to prove that or not. Yeah. I think NASA can kind of take a step back and look at the planet, and you can see at, with like visualizations and stuff of like the way the seasons work and certain right. other measurements, it looks like the Earth is breathing. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember reading an article, I believe was a NASA scientist, but was basically looking at the Earth from out in space and acknowledged that it looked like it was sick. You know what I mean? Oh, like man. when from that far out, you can kind of see the parts of the world that are really like, right. and I don't know if that's just in the form of pollution or, you know, obviously it's like, right. look at downtown LA as a fucking green <laughs> cloud, you know? So I'm sure it looks crazy from up there, but... In the same way that you can see the the life breathing in and out, you can also see like, ooh, it's getting well, sick. Yeah. yeah, and now yeah, now we're living in an era where you can really see like our effect on the entire mm -hmm. yeah system of life on the planet. So like I, I I don't know. I often think about like when when I'm watching a video of like watch this entire glacier break off of Antarctica, right? right? Like, like sped sail up. away oh. into the ocean. It's like, it almost makes me think of like, you know, if I had an infection, my body would start doing crazy things to kill it. Well, yeah. <laughs> a fever is to raise your body temperature to kill the mm -hmm. infection. Right. Like, yeah. what the fuck is, like, just the, this global warming thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this James Lovelock, the guy who posited this theory in the 70s, is ha was one of the first and is now like a big proponent of like global warming is happening and not mm -hmm. only is it happening we're totally fucked um, <laughs> right so he's yeah he's right. followed this thread all the way to like the logical conclusion wow seems obvious. completely obvious <laughs> yeah. right i know i i like when science and philosophy kind of intersect in mm -hmm. this way because of like a bigger picture thing and i mean one thing about this is just like a footnote you know even before him there were you know mystics and spiritualists positing like theories and there was this one woman, Vera Stanley Adler, who was a portrait painter and mystic. And there's not like a lot about her online, but she has like a, a large library of books she wrote. One of them it details like her journeys with like a guide, I guess, that came to her and took her out of her body and was like, first, we're going to go down real small. And she went and visited the cells like Ooh. in her body uh -huh. and talked to them. And they were like, we're just trying to do the best for the thing we live on. You know, mm -hmm. I've got to teach my kids how to be cells. I know. And they're gonna grow up and be me and then they've got to have other cells and right. they've got to do a good job or we're all gonna die and then he's like now let me show you this and they like went out as big as the universe is and he's like you're nothing right. and he's like but it gets even bit it's just like it does size doesn't matter it's just because you're a person and your brain can't handle totally. it you think it exactly. does it just it just is like a body that goes forever and problem. so this is like the kind of thing people were thinking and then and then you know seeing science catch up to this in a way sort of that's like maybe it is just a body that goes forever yeah yeah. <laughs> it's always cool to me. Right, for sure. What were you talking about with like the Copernican element of the idea? Oh, when I was reading Wikipedia about the Gaia theory, it has like a whole part about criticism and like what people think about it. And there was a quote, I wish I had written it down. I can't remember who it was, but one of the people who was sort of criticizing it, but saying there was value in it, called it uh, possibly Copernican. The idea being that, you know, Copernicus said, like, well, the Earth is not the center of the universe. The sun mm -hmm. is. But people still were like, but what do you mean? How does that? It does, <laughs> what it's does like that even mean to anybody? Yeah, yeah. And then Newton discovers gravity and it all comes together mm -hmm. to like the original discovery becomes much more meaningful later on. The philosophy the, yeah. is then centuries supported later by, supported by right. science. Exactly. So like that the idea that the Earth is an organism could one day become like one of the most important mm -hmm. like just like it's almost like a shift in point of view of how we yeah. view everything that yeah. science leads us to 
fucking wild. <laughs> Whoa, dude. Like Whoa, I said. Yeah. <laughs> Let's end this on a real high note. Let's talk about some napalm. Because <laughs> in the movie, Buffalo Bill, I'm going to call him Buffalo Bill, even though it's Ted. What the fuck is his last name? Whatever. He played Buffalo Bill in mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. He's in this. He's like the military guy. Oh, yeah. And he's like, they're like, how are you going to kill the aliens? And he's like, with napalm. Yeah. Lots and lots of napalm. Would right. you use napalm? I know. Like, it puts <laughs> the napalm on its skin. Yeah, it puts the <laughs> napalm on its skin. Well, speaking of which, holy shit. Yikes. Because <laughs> napalm is basically an incendiary gel-like substance. And what it is is like when it explodes, it sticks to anything it touches. Right. And it burns at more than 5,000 degrees. Unreal. For comparison, water boils at 212 degrees. Uck. So it's hot. Mm-hmm. And it'll stick to human skin. And it'll flow down into like foxholes and bunkers and stuff like this. Oh so it's God. like this gel that's just it's the burning craziest you. burning thing in the world. So it just like burns through people? Yeah. That's and you can't get it off your skin once it like sticks mm-hmm. to you. So it's like it'll just keep burning at five thousand degrees. It's like lava you can make in your garage. It's like yeah, it's that's exactly it. <laughs> it's like the blob. It's like the blob. <laughs> it's a lot more like the blob oh, than it should be. And and but even if it doesn't touch you, it turns the air to carbon dioxide by burning all the oxygen. So you'll suffocate in an area that's like been napalmed. A precursor to napalm were flamethrowers used in World War One. But the military advisors didn't like that the gasoline used would just drip off of targets. And so they wanted to make the fuel thicker. And they made an aluminum soap mixed with naphthenic acid, which comes from crude oil, and palmatic acid, which comes from coconut oil. And they took the na from naphthenic and the palm from palmatic, and you've got napalm. Whoa. I I use... Coconut oil is a moisturizer. I, I, I. Well, it's an ingredient in one of the most terrible weapons we've ever Who invented. Who invented this fucking thing? It was invented by university professors. But it was originally used for agricultural purposes because it destroys crabgrass while preserving other necessary grasses. How? Wait, how if does it's it... burning at okay. 5,000? I don't have an answer for okay. how that works. That's <laughs> like, I guess if you like had a little bit of it, you would just drip it where you want fire. Oh. Right. You know? You'd yeah. be like, that's going to be on fire, like but chemical. that thing next to it's not going to be on fire. I don't think right. it didn't destroy the other grasses so much as like it made crabgrass not be able to grow back, whereas Did the other grasses... Did they use it as like a poison or as a fire thing? I think it was like grass. a fire thing. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And then... They decided to fucking use that in Vietnam and shit? Well, they first tested it in World War II, and, but we did use it mostly in Vietnam, right. along with other things like Agent Orange, which is terrible in its own horrifying sure. way, essentially as a way to deforest part of Vietnam. Oh, so they weren't even initially using it for, like, civilian attack? Well, they were using it, I mean, hopefully they were never intending it for use on civilian attack. But hello. But that certainly happened a lot. In fact, one of the most famous pictures from the Vietnam War is of a little girl running naked from a napalm attack as her skin was burning off. Was it napalm? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Because it was still stuck to her skin. She actually wound up surviving, and she now lives in Canada, but it was mostly used to just get rid of, like, the forest cover that the enemy had. But then in 1980, the UN Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons, that's what it's called, on Certain Conventional <laughs> Weapons, 
outlawed the use of napalm on civilians. At this point, we don't use napalm in its traditional form, but napalm is is like the catch-all term for any incendiary bomb. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. we don't use naphthenic and palmatic to create napalm anymore, napalm, right. but any incendiary bomb, we've used them in Iraq, and there's been a lot of controversy surrounding that because it's like, well, we don't use them on civilians, know, but, but do hello, we? You know, I mean, you're just kind of carelessly dropping, not carelessly, well, well kind of carelessly. Yeah, One right? of the main things about napalm is that it doesn't have to be so accurate yeah, while still brush. being very effective. Yeah. Yucko. And the thing about warfare is how careful can it possibly exactly. be? Exactly. Well, that's one of the other arguments <laughs> about this is like, is like, yeah, we don't use them on civilians anymore, but we use other things that kill the civilians in other horrible ways. And so there's always an argument to be made for like, why why are we drawing the line there Right. as a particular spot? Well. Now, at, at least in evolution, one of the, the chemicals that they were talking about was hydrogen sulfide. Right. And I, I forget why they reference it, but it's around. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys, I compartmentalize this film. <laughs> but in real life, hydrogen sulfide is a compound that is produced by the breakdown of sulfur containing proteins. So this occurs naturally in crude petroleum, in natural gas, volcanic gases, and hot springs. Ooh. And it has a very unpleasant smell like rotten eggs. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. So this is also something that can result from the bacterial breakdown of organic matter like human and animal waste. It is responsible for much of the foul odor of feces and flatulence. So mm. in retrospect, it all makes sense <laughs> that in evolution, that <laughs> the was fart the primary. Joke of a movie. Right? It was like oh, the man. personified fart joke. They right? didn't even land the fart joke. That's totally had to be why. They... Right. Yeah, well, they, but they that. said it without really spelling it out for the audience. So mm-hmm. they just like laid it there. And I was like, why did they reference this? And now I'm like, oh, because it's what makes, you know, farts stink, I guess. And then <laughs> makes sense. In yeah. retrospect, makes sense. But it actually turns out that there are certain health effects. Like it is considered a broad spectrum poison, which hmm. means it can poison several different systems in the body. So like breathing very high levels can cause death within just a few breaths. You can die from a fart? <laughs> well, if you have a like killer, silent but deadly. <laughs> Am I right? Silent and violent. Silent and violent. Yes. There could also be like loss of consciousness after one or more breaths. Even if you just, you know, happen to be in the room, if you were crop dusted, let's say. <laughs> yep. This can result in eye irritation, a sore throat, <laughs> cough, shortness of breath. That Pink sort of eye, thing. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess if someone farts in your fucking eyeball. So certain animal studies show that pigs that ate food containing hydrogen sulfide had diarrhea after a few days and then weight loss after about 105 days. So I guess... There could be some pretty, like, you know, terrorizing flatulence out there, which we experienced in evolution. Well, you're talking about weight loss. I mean, we were talking earlier about ways to lose weight through eating celery and shit. <laughs> freeze yourself fart. and eat celery. Yeah, freeze yourself, eat celery, you have people fart in your fucking face. Give yourself permanent diarrhea. <laughs> There's all kinds uh, yeah. of options the out there. The price of beauty. <laughs> the price of That's beauty. That's the through line of this movie. I didn't have any favorite lines, did you? I just liked that he was like, it's a rock that bleeds. And then I actually did a little bit of research on this, and there's this crazy organism that they call the period rock. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like an organism that, that manages to create like a rock-like hard thing around itself, and it can even be like a group. And when you cut the rock open, it looks like a tomato on the inside. It's like a fleshy, oh, like bleeding okay. substance. Oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have to be spoiled. And and yeah, I just I was like, 
Rock wow. that bleeds. That's it's real. Crazy. Mm. It's real shit. Oh, I do remember. Was it, there was at one point, I think somebody was like, yeah, you've broken the protocol. And David Duchovny was like, I got your protocol right here. Come <laughs> oh, yeah. and get it. Like grabbing his dick. And I was just like, what? And then he this? moons him. Yeah. And then he moons the, his, moons yeah. Guy, yeah. <laughs> the superior <laughs> officer. It looks like a big loogie. Yeah. Oh, man. What a line. I, uh. I did really like when Sean William Scott's car was all broken from getting thrown by the meteor yeah. and then the guy was trying to close the door for him and he was like I do this and he has like a wire hanging <laughs> on that side yeah. of the door that he uses to hold the door it's like shut. a yeah. string. That part was funny. That, that was, was a funny, funny line. I, Sean William Scott was getting a lot of laughs. I know. For I, me at and least. And that's the thing like when I end a movie being like Sean William Scott was the best part of that movie like <laughs> there are problems yeah and he's not even a main part really no, he's like right. a side he was in like thing 20 minutes. yeah more Sean William Scott yeah. Ivan Reitman more less, of it less SWS. weird pervert professor yeah <laughs> well first of all let me thank you Ryan for coming on this yeah, was man. a ball thank dude. you I'm having friends this was great we hope you come on again. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, you can please rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us at Oh That's a Thing on Facebook and Twitter and .com. I'm at It's a Joy Amia on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Jeffrey Ekman on Twitter. He's not on Instagram. I'm just Ryan Kazmiski in life. <laughs> yeah. You got an Instagram. Oh, with yeah. Your art. I'm RHK Gallery. RHK yeah. Gallery. Come check out. He does this awesome pen art where he like breaks open pens and uses the ink to create images and it's really fucking cool. What? All right. Yeah, check Fuck. it out. All right, we'll do that. All right, guys, we'll have an awesome week. See and, you next uh, we'll time. See you soon, Goons. Bye. Bye.